All right, how we doing tonight, Porch? Come on. Shout out to downtown. Shout out to Houston, El Paso, the other locations from around the country that are tuning in to be with us tonight for The Porch Live. My name's Daniel Crawford. Uh, I lead our college ministry here at Watermark and work closely. You're out there, that's cool. Work closely with uh, the Porch team. And so it is a joy to be with you guys tonight. Generally speaking, I would, I would describe myself as more of a lover than a fighter. Uh, but I did get in one fight one time. Uh, it was during my very prolific high school football career, okay? We were, we were sophomores. The game ended in a, somewhat of a controversial manner, and uh, the other team had a problem with that. The referees didn't have a problem with the other team did. And so as we're walking to the locker room, I see our team and their team slowly start to converge on one another until that first proverbial shot is fired and then it's on, right? And so I'm about two thirds of the way back. I'm kind of surveying the scene. We're 16 years old. So some of us look 24, others of us look 12. Okay, I'm, I'm post puberty, five foot eight. And so at this time I look like I'm 12 and I'm like 120 pounds soaking wet. And so the survival instincts kick in and, and you get one or two things, right? You either fight or flight. And so I don't love, I'm not crazy about either of those two options in that moment. And so I'm figuring out what to do and I decide I'm just gonna kind of get in there and kind of start like shoving people around a little bit and maybe grab somebody by the back of the pads, that's illegal, but the referees have no, no more power anymore, so I'm gonna do some of that. And so I do that and I'm kind of letting gravity work and, and, and things are going well. I'm, I'm gaining confidence. My confidence is becoming perhaps arrogance. And in my arrogance, something starts to swell in me and I'm overcome with this desire. Before I know it, I pop that helmet off and I'm ready to go. And then not three seconds later, I get popped in the mouth is what I get. And so I look around to see who did it. And then to my even further embarrassment, I realized I didn't even get punched. Like my buddy who was wearing his helmet got shoved into me and it hit me in the mouth. So I get to go to school the next day with a fat lip. Uh, the fight actually made the news. And so people knew what it was. I totally said that I got into a fight and uh, you should see the other guy that he was in way worse condition than I was. Uh, which is not true. But afterwards, as I just got to think by myself, I'm like, man, why would I take my pads off? Like, why would I remove my helmet? Like the things that I just wore for an entire football game that are scientifically engineered to protect me from harm. When it's going down, I take it off. What was I thinking? And I suffered for it. And so as a man who has navigated his 20s uh, in close proximity to other people navigating their 20s. Here's, here's what I know is that most of us in the room tonight are, are kind of like me in that story where we realize we're coming up against adversity in different ways. It feels like we're in a fight and we are trying to go to battle without any sort of armor whatsoever. And we have suffered for it and we will continue to suffer for it. The challenge is that we don't realize what is causing our anxiety, what is killing our relationships, what is driving our addictive behaviors, and what is enslaving us to this sin in our life as we struggle. We don't realize that we are at war and that many of us are losing in this war because we're not putting on the protective armor that God has graciously provided for us. We're feeling beat up. 
we're feeling overwhelmed, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so my hope tonight is that we'll leave this room encouraged, uh, that we will continue in this series that David kicked off last week that is called The Unseen, and that specifically tonight, as we're reminded that we have an unseen enemy, uh, we're going to learn how to fight in this unseen war. And so I'm going to reread real quick where David was, and then we're going to keep, keep going. But verses 10 through 12, this is in Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Verses 10 through 12 said this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's evil schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so we're gonna pick up with verses 13 through 20. And my hope is that tonight we're gonna learn how to fight in this unseen war. Specifically, we're gonna see three things. We're gonna see that we're all a part of this unseen war. We're gonna see that we must prepare for this unseen war. And we're gonna see that we must pray in the midst of this unseen war. Let's dive in. Verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, when the day of evil comes, that you may be able to stand your ground and after that you have done everything to stand. So Paul is saying there is a war going on, that our engagement and being affected by this war is inevitable and that it is not a given that we will stand, that we are at risk of being knocked down. So the first point tonight is that we are part of an unseen War. And so when I even say that, like if you're like me, it's almost like, man, that's, that's almost kind of hard to believe. Sounds a little like Lord of the Rings-ish, like Hogwarts style. I did not attend Hogwarts. I wish I would have attended Hogwarts. I didn't go there. Uh, but I think it's because of just like where, where we are. Uh, like being in America, we, we know that like, like the Republicans and the Democrats don't seem to have very nice things to say about each other. We know that uh, there still remains some, some bad blood between T. Swift and Katy Perry, apparently. And so, uh, and as far as real war goes, like we're used to rumors of war. Like North Korea might fire a missile at us or somebody else. We're used to reports of war about what ISIS is up to over in the Middle East, far, far away from here. But it, it doesn't feel like we are actively engaged in real warfare. So even just like, if you just think through like the last seven days, uh, what did I do in the last seven days? I, uh, I went to work. I went and worked out. Uh, I went out with my boys. I uh, watched, caught up on a couple shows, stayed current with my social media feeds. Like all of that feels routine and ordinary and mundane. None of that feels threatening or dangerous but I think the reality is that those things can be dangerous. Clint Bruce is a member here at Watermark. Clint also happens to be a Navy SEAL. And so he also happens to now train Navy SEALs. So this is, this is something that Clint said. I want you to listen to this. He said, to come home from war and believe that I was not at war anymore was very dangerous. And so I needed to surround myself with people who understood that we were at war. 
and that this war is different, that there's no bullets or bombs, but there's temptation, there's alcohol, there's laziness, lust, materialism, there's all of these other things that are as or more dangerous than a bullet, close quote, Navy SEAL. Physically, we are in the very prosperous, very comfortable United States of America, but the truth is that spiritually, Scripture would say that this is the Middle East. The threats of bombs and wars, catastrophes and victims lies all around us all the time. And when we think, when life seems most comfortable, we might very well be at our most susceptible to attack. And so looking back at the last seven days, looking forward to the next seven days, you will go back to work, but you will also be going to war. You're gonna be going to war with selfish ambition. You're gonna be tempted to chase money and comfort, power and prestige, moving up the corporate ladder, materialism, careerism. You may choose to go out to the bars, but you're also gonna have a battle waiting for you there. There's gonna be temptation, substance abuse, impaired judgments, and a morning after routine that consistently has guilt and has regret. And what was I thinking and why did I do that again? You'll probably scroll through your social media and depending on who or what you follow, my guess is that your feed may end up feeding your insecurities and that you're gonna get caught in the comparison trap, that it's gonna spark FOMO, that it's gonna spark jealousy, that you're then gonna turn around and try and illustrate how beautiful and how awesome your life is in return when in reality, you're miserable, you're lonely, you want somebody else's life and you're putting on a front. That is a battle and it is taking victims. So do not be deceived, friends, We are all part of an unseen war, but God has not left the Christian unprotected and unarmed. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Our second point tonight is that we must prepare for this unseen war. And so you may read that description and it's like, dude, armor. I've never been anywhere near armor. I watched some Heath Ledger movies back in the day, I guess, but like closest I've ever gotten to armor is is under armor, right? (laughs) And that's because when we think of soldiers, when we think of war, we think about a picture of Clint. We think about camouflage. We think about rifles, maybe some night vision goggles. But to the Ephesians, back in the first century AD, this is smack dab in the middle of the Roman Empire. And so this is what it would look like when somebody was going to war. And so Paul intentionally highlights, he grabs and draws attention to these different individual pieces of armor. And I wanna unpack them together uh, because each piece, I believe, he chose strategically and they represent a piece of God's strength that he offers 
to believers as, as we uh, live out our faith in Christ. The other thing I want us to notice, and I think this is really important, this gripped me as I, as I studied this text this week, is that he's writing to Christians, right? This is a church in Ephesus, and he says, put on the armor of God, which that would imply that even if we're believers, we're not popping out of bed in the morning ready to go to war. We got to put on these different pieces of armor. So you could really do a sermon on each one. I'm gonna go quickly through them. And so I would encourage you to dig into that later. But first, we got the belt of truth. And so uh, I know what you're thinking. It's like, that's pretty straightforward. I got a belt and that's the truth. It's right there, Calvin Klein. And uh, these belts were like thick leather, like they really tied the entire suit of armor together. Several of the other pieces would connect to the belt. It was the centerpiece of armor for battle. And so he starts with the belt and he says that it represents the truth. The truth holds everything together. There is absolute truth and it is absolutely critical that we know the truth and that we wrap our lives in it before we do anything else. So we'll look into that a little bit more when we get to the sword. I'm gonna keep moving. Next is the breastplate of righteousness. A typical soldier would have this chest plate made out of bronze or some sort of a thick metal, uh, and that's pretty straightforward. It was to guard and to protect the vital organs, most vital of which was guarding the heart. And so Paul says that, Uh, our breastplate in the Christian life is righteousness, that we are to put on righteousness and protect our hearts with it. And so Proverbs, uh, Solomon was a king way back in the day in Israel. He wrote the Proverbs, a lot of good nuggets of wisdom in there. And he literally, out of all of it, he says, hey, boys, listen, come here. If you're gonna remember one thing I say and forget all of this other gold, Listen to this, Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life, okay? So guard my heart, put on righteousness, cool. How do I do that? What does that look like tangibly? And to put it really simply, here's how I think you know that you are guarding your heart. You are guarding your heart if you are really, really picky about what you let in to your life. And so this may be uh, your story. This may be what putting on the breastplate, the breastplate of righteousness looks like, looks like for you is, man, I had to stop watching The Bachelorette because I'd, I'd find myself planning 17 weddings in my head after the second date. <laughs> and I just made the decision instead, man, I'm just gonna... I'm gonna pray for my future spouse if the Lord would have me have a future spouse. And that's what I need to do. That's me putting on the breastplate. Man, I had, to, I had to drop the Game of Thrones, even though it's like the best thing going, because I could not get the images out of my head. And I talked with community and I just decided it had to be a hard and fast thing. If there are topless women involved, I'm out on it. I struggle with that. That's gonna drive me in other ways that I don't want to be driven. You may think he's straight up killing the game right now, but I know more Drake verses than I know Bible verses. And these are two very different 
views on life and what the good life looks like, right? There's very different counsel on good living from those two sources. And so you're not wicked if you bump Drake and hop in your car right after this, but you may not be able to do that. It may not be helpful. Here's a personal one for me is with fantasy sports. Guys, listen, I would spend more time preparing for my draft than my job. All right, this is before I worked here. Don't judge me. <laughs> but I'd spend more time like working my roster than talking to my wife. And just like, think about that. Like a fictitious sports matchup with one of my idiot friends consumed more heart capacity that week than my bride did. And that's crazy to me. So I can't play fantasy football anymore, which kills me because I love it. When we put on the breastplate, Breastplate, we don't follow the longings of our heart. We inform our hearts. We are very, very careful about what we consume in the pursuit of righteousness. Next, he talks about putting on shoes that are ready with the gospel of peace. A soldier's battle shoes uh, would have like nails or studs in the bottom. Think cleats, think gospel cleats. And so uh, those would help you dig in, keep your balance keep you from getting pushed backwards and help you drive forward into enemy territory. And so he says that these, these cleats represent the message of the gospel, that the beauty of the gospel message puts you in a ready position so that you are secure because you're resting in your identity in Christ and not your own performance and not your own works. You are firmly planted in him, remembering who you were apart from Christ. Remembering how he reached down and pursued you and saved you and how life has been so much different and so much sweeter since then. When I preach the gospel to myself every day that we just sang in those songs, nothing keeps me grounded like that. Next, he says, the shield of faith. Don't think Captain America, red, white, and blue, frisbee disc, cool thing, right? Roman shields uh, these things were massive. They were like car doors that you could literally hide behind and it would cover you. It would be a full-on protective blanket and it was the primary barrier between you and the attacks of the enemy. As he had said, the flaming arrows of the evil one. That was a popular military tactic back then. So he says, the shield that blocks those fiery arrows represents our faith. That like, our, like a shield, our faith is a protective barrier between us and the enemy's attacks. Simply put, uh, faith, it's like, how, do, how would you, I've heard that, how would you even define that? Here's, I would just strip it down to this. Faith is just believing who God is, that he is who he says he is, and that he's going to do what he said he's going to do, that he's good, that he loves you, that he cares, that he only gives good gifts, that he does not make mistakes. That is a mighty shield that we have the opportunity to hide behind. Without it, we've seen the devastation that it causes. We, know, we have these stories either personally or in people close to us. We have that person who got that diagnosis, right? Mom got cancer, got less than a year to live. Cousin goes off to college, starts being around professors that say Christianity is a joke, that the Bible is stupid. 
picks apart their faith. They come back. They're an atheist. Their faith is crumbled. They did not have the shield of faith. Essentially, it revealed, and this is where it's so scary, it can reveal an if-then kind of faith. If this happens, then I'll believe. If this doesn't happen, I'm out. So without the shield, we're at risk of having an if-then faith and being taken out. But hopefully you've also seen people that have stood their ground against the attacks of the enemy. That friend who, like, man, she lost her job and got dumped in the same week. And it's like, God, it's like, she's sad. But she's, she's okay. She's processing. She's like, Lord, I'm insecure, I'm embarrassed that I got fired. I thought I was gonna marry that guy. Will I be single forever now? And yet I know that your plans are better than mine. I can trust you. When it's hard to trace your hand, I know that I can trust your heart. You have, rather than an if-then faith, an even-if faith, which says, even if, fill in the blank, I will stand behind this shield of faith. I will trust that God is good. I will look back on his perfect track record of faithfulness through the years. In the midst of seasons where I doubted his goodness, I can see now he was there. He is with me. He is for me. He loves me. Next, the helmet of salvation. Everybody knows that the one guaranteed kill shot is the headshot, right? That's gonna take you out faster than anything. And so the helmet is perhaps the most important piece of armor. And Paul says that the helmet represents our salvation. And so uh, in reading this again, I found it fitting that we talked about the cleats being the gospel message and the helmet being our salvation by grace through faith. It's as if they're saying from head to toe, you need to clothe yourself and protect yourself with the message of the gospel, not about what you do to work yourself or become good enough for God or to get to heaven, but about what he has done, how he has showed his faithfulness and his love for you on the cross and said, it is finished. And now for any person who would by grace through faith turn from their sin and turn to God, there is forgiveness and there is salvation. This is good news. Let's put on our helmets and with it, let's have assurance. And finally, the sword of the spirit, which he says is the word of God. We know what a sword is. I don't have to describe that to you. What I do want us to see is it is the only offensive weapon that was listed. Did you notice that? All of these other pieces of armor are defensive in nature. The sword is the piece where we counterattack and where we strike back. And he tells us that the sword, our only weapon, is the scriptures. This, listen, this is why we read the Bible. You don't read the Bible to check a box. You don't read the Bible to seem holy and tell people that you did. You don't read the Bible to become a smarter sinner. You don't read the Bible to please God. He doesn't love you more when you do or when you don't. He just knows that when you don't, you're going to war without a weapon. The sword of the spirit that is the word of God. This is exactly what Jesus did himself 
when he faced his greatest temptation in Matthew 4, you should go look it up and read it. He faces off with Satan. Three times Satan comes at him uh, with great promises and temptation. Three times Jesus replies, Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse. He knew scripture. He wrote it on his heart. He articulated it in the moment and he counterattacked when he was enduring temptation. So if you want to experience victory, which I know that we all, if there's one thing I know, it's that we want to experience victory from temptation and from sin and from being enslaved to our struggles. So if you want victory over that struggle with body image and that eating disorder, you gotta know I am fearfully, wonderfully made in the image of God, Psalm 139. If you want victory over that porn struggle that really is a daily habit, you gotta know 2 Timothy 2, flee from sexual immorality and pursue righteousness. You gotta do that in those moments of temptation. If you're feeling cursed, I'm 29 and single, what's up with that? You gotta know Matthew 7, God only gives good gifts to his children. In Romans 8, he is working all things together for his glory and our good. That is not a curse. If you're wondering, do I take him back again? Even though he kind of says that he's a Christian and yet he's constantly putting us in situations where we're failing in sexual sin, I would say that's not a good idea. I would say do not be unequally yoked, 2 Corinthians 6. Guys, we have seen that we are all part of an unseen war, that we must equip ourselves and prepare to stand in the battle. We have been given protection. We've been given a weapon. And we have one more resource at our disposal that is absolutely critical. So verse 18, before we finish up, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. A third and final point is that we must pray in this unseen war. We must pray in this unseen war. Verse 18, it says, pray in the spirit. And so just real quick, how do I pray in the spirit? What does that mean? I'll just say there is no evidence that that indicates some sort of a prayer language, some sort of an angelic language that's not English. There's no evidence that that's what that means. I believe that praying in the spirit, if you wanna pray in the spirit, do this. Pray for God's will, which is always consistent with God's word. Pray for God's will, which is always consistent with God's word. Because here's what we're doing. Here's why this is so important, is that what we're doing when we, be, when we come before the creator of the heavens of the earth, We're saying, you are that, I am not the God of my own universe. It is a posture of humility. It is a posture of dependence. There is an unavoidable connection between prayer and dependence, and it is paramount. Because here's the truth. This whole spiritual war, this whole thing that we're talking about, it's not hard. This spiritual war, it's not difficult. It's impossible. It is impossible without God and without being fully dependent on the Lord to strengthen us, to provide for us, 
We need him. Every hour of every day, we need him. John Piper said it like this. Prayer is not a domestic intercom. This is so good. Prayer is not a domestic intercom where we can call up the butler and order room service and get the thermostat adjusted. Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. We are all at war. We've been given a mission and we have access to the God of angel armies. How crazy is that? That we can pray to him and that he cares and that he listens and that he wants to help us, that he wants to equip us. So here's what this allows us to do. You can say, God, I am struggling again with comparison and with body uh, body image. Will you help me remember that I am fearlessly, wonderfully made? God, I'm struggling again. Pornography is eating me alive. Will you help me to flee from sexual immorality and to pursue your righteousness instead? Father, singleness is stealing my joy again every week. Will you help me trust that you are at work in all things, that you only give good gifts, that your plans are better than my plans, that you don't make mistakes, that your timing is perfect, that I can trust you. And honestly, if this is a big one for me. Uh, fear of man. Galatians 1 would say, uh, am, I, am I trying to please man or am I trying to please God? And just to be really vulnerable with you, as I prepared to be with you guys this week, uh, one thing that the enemy was throwing at me over and over and over again, thoughts that occurred over and over and over again is, I wonder what these people are gonna think about me. I wonder what when they get in their cars to drive home with their friends, I wonder what they're gonna say about Daniel Crawford. And as I thought about that more, uh, are they gonna like me? Are they gonna think I'm funny? Are they gonna think I'm awful? That started to mess with me so bad. And then that's when people came alongside me with the word of God that just says, hey, the only thing you got, bro, the only thing you've got is the word of God. The only thing you can do on the front side is to pray for this message that the spirit would show up, that his truth would come through loud and clear. And so here's what I hope tonight. I hope that you remember what I've said and I hope that you forget that I ever said it and that it's as if I was never even here. So to close, uh, we are all part of an unseen war. We must prepare for this unseen war and that we must pray in this unseen war. So it's the end of August. Fall is almost here. Fall is perhaps my favorite season for a a few reasons. One is that it's slowly not gonna be 150 degrees anymore. (laughs) The other is that another school year fires up and with another school year comes another football season. Am I right? Got college game days. Get to see the Aggies go six and oh. And then totally drop four out of the next five crush my soul year after year. Right now, everybody's undefeated, right? And so a lot of things could happen. We don't know what could happen, but here's, here's what I would probably say. I would guarantee I'd put money on this won't happen. And if it does, it'll go viral, is that you won't see a quarterback jogging out onto the field to go get under center without being completely protected in full pads. Like if you don't have cleats, You're gonna lose your footing, slip around, maybe get stepped on by another cleat. 
If you don't have shoulder pads, hello cracked ribs, hello broken collarbones, you get sent to the sideline. If your helmet even comes off accidentally, you like get sent to timeout, you have to sit out for a play. Like that's a big deal. Nobody would do that. There probably won't be any swords and that's okay. And so that's where the illustration breaks down a little bit. But you get the point, which is this, that, that football armor has been literally scientifically manufactured and engineered to protect those athletes and that it is a full set, it is a package deal. To go out with some of it, but not all of it, is not wise. And it leaves you vulnerable and it leaves you susceptible to attack. So my prayer for us is that we would wrap our lives in the belt of truth. That you would guard your heart with the breastplate of righteousness. That you would plant your feet into the ground with the message of the gospel of grace. You would reject the lies of the evil one with the sword, uh, with the shield of faith, that you would feel completely secure as you wear the helmet of salvation, that you would fight back with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and that you would constantly use prayer as your wartime walkie-talkie. Let me do that for us now as we go to war together this week. Father, we just confess our brokenness, where we confess our need for you. We confess that we are prone to wander, that we are prone to go to war on our own strength, not depending on yours, and that it does not go well with us. So God, I pray that we would be a people marked by humility, marked by dependence, marked by prayer, marked by those who would put on the full armor of God, that you love us, that you are with us, that you care, that you are good, that you are who you say you are, that you will do what you said you are going to do and that you can be trusted. We pray all that in Christ's perfect name. Amen.